Welcome to the Aesthetic Doctor Podcast. We don't shy away and keep secrets here. We empower you with education, telling you the truth about all things aesthetic medicine while encouraging you to be the best version of yourself. It's time to look great and feel good doing it. This is your host, mom, speaker, and board-certified physician, Dr. Judith Forger. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 48 of the Aesthetic Doctor podcast. Today, it is my absolute pleasure to have Dr. Matthew Elias of Elias Dermatology in South Florida on the podcast. And we are going to be talking about rosacea. Yes, rosacea, very common. Lots and lots of misconception affects a lot and a lot of patients. So I'm so glad to have Dr. Elias here to talk everything rosacea with us. Dr. Elias is a board certified dermatologist with offices in Fort Lauderdale and Pembroke Heights, Florida. He practices both medical and cosmetic dermatology as well as dermatologic surgery. As I said, he is board certified. He is top of his game. He is just a wonderful person and amazing practitioner. So I am so thankful to have Dr. Elias here to share all his wisdom as a board certified dermatologist about rosacea. One quick note that of course, unless Dr. Elias or I are your treating physician, all the things we discuss in the podcast is for informational purposes only. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Elias. Dr. Elias, like I said in the introduction, thank you so much for being with us, especially as a board certified dermatologist, talking today about rosacea. And rosacea is obviously one of those things I feel like that affects a lot of people, but that is poorly understood and completely underdiagnosed. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk to you about rosacea. And you're 100% correct. We see it all day long. It's one of the most common things we see in dermatology and very commonly misdiagnosed, underdiagnosed, or correctly diagnosed and incorrectly treated. And so it's important that we get the proper information out there to patients and rosacea sufferers. Awesome. So, you know, talking about rosacea, um, what are the most common signs and symptoms of rosacea? Meaning what do you see in a patient's face and what do they experience? Yeah, so, you know, rosacea, there's actually lots of different kinds of rosacea. And so, you know, there's four main types of rosacea. And so we divide it. Most people have some combinations of mm -hmm. the different types, but the most common type is what's called erythmotelangiopathic rosacea. And those are what are classically known as the flushers and blushers, okay? So patients that get flushed and red and, and you know, you see this a lot from, from sunlight and alcohol and so on and so forth. The next most common type, which I think is probably what is thought to be the most common type is uh, by most lay people is what's called papular pustular rosacea. And uh, papular pustular rosacea is where you get like the acne-like bumps, okay? So you get like the, the bumps on the face, like acne um, lesions, acneiform lesions. So whiteheads, blackheads, cysts, so on and so forth. 
And that's very, very uh, common that you get those in combination with arithmocelagic categorization. So those two go hand in hand very commonly. Not every bump on your face is rosacea, just like not every bump on your face is acne. And so that's where we run into a lot of this um, under or misdiagnosis. There's lots of dermatology diagnoses that look very similar like uh, perioral facial dermatitis that may need to be treated differently, very, very, very common, or even things like lupus miliaris disseminata et fasciae, um, which is also, the, it looks very, very, very similar. And so it takes an astute board certified dermatologist to basically make the, uh, you're aware of the differences and what the treatment differences are. Um, the next two types of rosacea are way less common, but we still do see them. And so there's what's called rhinophimatous rosacea, and that's where you get the big bulbous nose. And the, the famous one is, I may be dating myself here, but is W.C. Fields. Um, so that famous author, uh, famous painter who had the big rosy nose. And so, you know, forever and ever, ever, excuse me, that was very difficult to treat. Nowadays, we actually have some advanced treatments that work really well, where we compare down those really thick sebaceous oil glands and really re resurface and restructure someone's nose. And it makes a dramatic difference for them. And then the, the fourth kind of rosacea, is actually way more common than people think, but also not commonly diagnosed is called ocular rosacea. And so a lot of patients with dry eye, they get this ocular rosacea or, or they actually have ocular rosacea and they think it's just dry eye, but it's actually a form of rosacea. And so interestingly, rosacea treatments work on it, but as we get later into the discussion on, on treatments, there's actually some, some uh, devices that work for it too, which is really interesting. So those are the four main types of rosacea that we see over and over and over again. But like I said, the most common are the first two, which is erythmocelagic tatic rosacea and papular pustular rosacea. Most patients have a combination. Those. Yeah. And, and, you know, if anybody has Googled <coughs> it or anybody has it for sort of the lay people, it's all the red, it's the little blood vessels, it's the splotching. It's the, I love how you call it the flushers and the blushers, because that really kind of hammers it home. And you also kind of already in your intro said something that I say over and over. It's like, that's why it's really important to get an expert uh, consult, an expert opinion with somebody like yourself, because, you know, you spent years and years um, getting your subspecialty training and your board certification. And since then, I always say you learn as much in the first five years of practice. You're obviously more than five years out, but you know, learning never stops, right? Always, We're always oh. learning. I learn something new every day. So yeah. And, and science advances. Yeah, yeah. Science advances too. And our understanding of things advance, you know, what we thought 20 years ago was X, we now understand with better technology does why. Yeah. Medicine is constantly evolving. I tell patients that all the time. So absolutely. So um, talking about rosacea, um, as far as I know, we don't quite know what causes it. But again, I'm kind of putting the um, question to you. What causes rosacea? <laughs> good, good question. I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> yeah. Like most things in dermatology, we don't know a lot of the causes of a lot of these disease processes, but we understand how to treat them which is the most important thing for patients, um, but it's probably multifactorial. You know, rosacea in the past was known as acne rosacea, and there has been a name change to just rosacea because we don't think it's related to acne, even though a lot of the symptoms are similar. And so while acne in and of itself is multifactorial in that, you know, it can be related to hormones and uh, skin keratinization, how the skin is shedding um, and bacterial overgrowth and so on and so forth, we think the, the multifactorial components of rosacea may be a little bit different 
And um, it actually, there may be some vascular component, which is why a lot of the treatments are structured at treating this vascular component. We also know that sunscreen, which as a dermatologist, we love sunscreen. Everybody uh, loves sunscreen. Sunscreen is by far and away the most important thing with rosacea. And so we can do lots of things, but if you don't wear your sunscreen, you know, it's hard to help improve rosacea. So those patients, when they brush their teeth in the morning, that sunscreen should be right next to their toothpaste and they should be putting sunscreen on every single morning. Yes. And just to hammer in, we've done this in past episodes, but what kind of a sunscreen do you recommend in terms of SPF minimum, physical, chemical? Do you care? So I am a, I don't care as long as you use it type of dermatologist, mm -hmm. um, but there are some differences. So basically, you know, SPF is only a measure against UVB. Okay. So it doesn't help us with regards to UVA. And we know both rays are harmful. We also know that blue light and infrared and all of these other rays are probably detrimental to the skin too. So you're always going to want something that's broad spectrum, very important. And so SPF higher than 30, there's a, a dramatic difference between SPF 15 and SPF 30. Once you get above 30, it's incremental. There is a difference between 30 and 45 and 55 and 70, but it gets incrementally smaller and smaller and smaller that typically for most patients, 30 is adequate. Personally, myself, sunscreen burns when it gets in my eyes. So I only like physical sunscreens um, for most patients um, on the face, which is, you know, because we're talking about rosacea, we will recommend physical sunscreens like zinc or titanium. Um, they're typically too expensive to use on the body. So we have the patients apply the physical sunscreens on the face first, and then apply the chemical sunscreens on the body. Um, the Roche-Posay over-the-counter, great chemical sunscreen for the body, but I wouldn't recommend it necessarily for the face, like the Melton Milk sunscreen. Um, a great um, sunscreen for the face um, is like Isdin, really, really, really good sunscreen, Irifatona Actinica, um, Elastin, those are really good sunscreens. Interestingly enough, Trader Joe's facial gel sunscreen is a really good sunscreen. It's really inexpensive if you can find it. It's a duplicate of or a dupe of a, another well-known sunscreen. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, the big thing, I'm a big us, Elta MD fan, Yeah, Elta's MD physical way. tinted. That's uh -huh. like my jam every morning yeah. serves as makeup, is, sunscreen, everything. Yeah. The big thing is, is applying that face one first, because what happens if you apply like uh, La Roche Melton milk for your body first, and then apply the sunscreen to your face, you'll get the chemical residues on your, on your finger and it'll get into your, you know, it'll get into your eyes and it'll still burn. So we always apply the, the face first and then the body. That's, that's a, a good recommendation, you know? All right. So aside on sunscreen, getting back to rosacea and I totally led you astray there. Um, sorry about that. Okay. Um, treatments. Um, I know there's topical, there's some antibiotics, there's some acne drugs. Of course there's laser therapy, lifestyle, all that stuff. So Whatever you want to start with, maybe just as a dermatologist, how you take your treatment approach to staggering the treatments for somebody with rosacea. Absolutely. So first, like we said, sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. Okay. Next, you you meant you touched on this lifestyle modifications, really, really, really important. So there are triggers for rosacea. Everybody's triggers are different and they may be unique to them but they are, there are definitely some commonalities amongst people. And so if we know that your rosacea is flaring from a trigger, you need to cut down on whatever that trigger may be. You don't necessarily have to cut it out, but you have to cut it down. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier alcohol, that's a very common trigger of rosacea. Now, if someone is, you know, having a good time on a Friday or Saturday night and their rosacea flares, you know, obviously cutting down from five drinks to two drinks may make a difference. Okay. So alcohol, sunlight we talked about so uv light sunscreen okay spicy foods and hot things so temperature wise 
So those are all well-known triggers. So if you like spicy food, if you cut that down a little bit, maybe cut down the heat or the spice, that may make a difference. Hot things like soups and teas potentially can make your rosacea flare. The big controversial one is caffeine and nobody knows the answer to this. I was going to ask you about that because they'll restrict your vessels, but yet a lot of people like it hot. Yeah. So, so the question is, is caffeine a flare of rosacea in and of itself, or is it the temperature of the beverage that's doing it? And nobody knows. And interesting, you mentioned this is there are topical caffeine products that do help with rosacea. So it doesn't like make sense in my head that caffeine is, is a trigger for rosacea. But I have seen patients that say, you know what, if I have three cups of coffee versus two cups of coffee, it makes a difference. This goes back to, hey, you're having hot coffee, having iced coffee. It's all about paying attention to your triggers and know what makes you flare. But those are the most common things with, with sunlight, UV light being the most common ones. So that's why sunscreen is so important. So we talked about lifestyle triggers. The next thing as a, as a board certified dermatologist, we like to go down the route of medical treatments if, if we're not making a change with the lifestyle modifications. And so medical treatments, there is a whole slew of medications. You know, in the past, there was only like really two medications. There was metrogel and finacea, metrogel and finacea. And that's really it. And you had off-label use of other uh, prescriptions, you know, whether it was uh, sulfur products or retinoids, and they absolutely work. And that's on the same concept of maybe it's interrelated to acne and they still do work, but these days we have a lot more choices. And so uh, another thing that potentially could be causing rosacea in patients is actually a little mite that lives in your skin, okay, called demodex. And so um, that can cause demodex folliculitis, which can resemble rosacea or may even be interrelated with rosacea. And so there are medications, like there's something called Sulantra, which is a topical form of ivermectin. Ivermectin obviously became a very popular drug during COVID, but uh, a topical form of it that will help treat um, rosacea. It works incredibly well for really recalcitrant or hard to treat patients. You may need to give them oral ivermectin. Um, the, one of the newest topicals is an oldie but goodie in dermatology is benzoyl peroxide, which has been around forever, but there's now a micronized formulation of it, which isn't well understood how it works for rosacea, but it works incredibly well. It's called Epsilay foam. And so we're seeing really dramatic improvements with Epsilate foam for rosacea. And then there are the, the antibiotics, whether topical antibiotics. So there's topical tetracycline class of antibiotics like minocycline, topical minocycline, like Zilksy foam, which um, works really well for, for rosacea, or there's oral tetracycline class of antibiotics. We don't use tetracycline in the US anymore, but we have doxycycline and minocycline. And most dermatologists, I would say, would probably say minocycline is more effective than doxycycline, but has a lot more side effects. So most steer towards using doxycycline. And for rosacea, we use low dose doxycycline. So we don't need the full um, antibiotic dose like we do for acne. So in acne, while you may be using 100 or 200 milligrams a day for rosacea, we can use anywhere from like 20 to 50 milligrams. And so with doxycycline, when you get above about 52 and a half milligrams, that's called the antimicrobial threshold. Above that dose, it becomes an antibiotic, but below that dose, it's actually only an anti-inflammatory. So it gets down the inflammation in the skin. And so there's drugs like Oratia, which is 40 milligrams of doxycycline or generic 50 milligrams of doxycycline. And those work really well um, for medicinal treatment of rosacea. <laughs> then if that's not working, we can talk about devices. 
And yeah, like Dr. Cycling, I feel like has become every everybody's favorite like medicine for all things skin related. Always uh, has been. Actually, also bring up for patients if you are on doxycycline, doxycycline and minocycline, and a lot of those make you more sun sensitive, correct? So correct. when you are on one of those medicines, it is <laughs> even more important to do your sunscreen, your physical protection, stay out of the sun during peak hours and all of yeah. those things. Tetracycline antibiotics are well-known photosensitizers, so absolutely it will make you more sensitive to the sun. That being said, I am in the Sunshine State in South Florida, and we use doxycycline a lot and um, don't tend to have a problem with it um, as long as we're practicing good sun protection. So really, really, really important. Yeah. Good. Everybody loves their doxycycline. So devices. Um, yeah, let's talk about devices. So tell me about devices for rosacea. We actually do a lot of um, rosacea treatment. It's it's amazing how I've sort of amassed this population of rosacea people that one of the dermatologists that doesn't have devices sends me. and right. But they're so grateful, really, because a lot of them have over the years tried all the things and there's just some resistant redness, some resistant vessels. And yes, they have to come back yearly or so, but just the fact that somebody can clear up some of those redness, like I feel like my rosacea patients are some of my happiest patients. What devices are you using? So we're using some YAGs and um, some IPLs with a wave selective wavelength for the reds around the yeah. 530 nanometer um, wavelength. Perfect. So, yeah, so absolutely. I, I agree with you. These are some of the um, best results you can get with devices or rosacea patients. You can make a dramatic change in these people's lives for the flushers and blushers for the redness. Okay. Maybe not so much for the acneiform component or for the you know, rhinophimitis or well, ocular, I do, I will mention something about that, but for the, the red rosacea, you absolutely can. And so first line definitely in dermatology are vascular lasers, which you touched on a little bit. And so the two classic lasers are basically the pulse dye laser, which is a 585, 595 nanometer wavelength laser. Um, and then the KTP laser, which probably the most well-known one now in dermatology is the XLB plus. Um, and so the point is when you're using a laser, it targets a chromophore or a color. And the wavelength that's really, really, really important for red things is somewhere between that 500 to 600 nanometer wavelength. And that's why the 532 KTP or the 585 pulse dye are very, very, very peak absorption spectrums for vascular lesions. And so you can make a dramatic improvement in clearing someone's redness with them and they're flushing with it. So most patients will take a multitude of treatments. You know, it's not a one and done type of thing. And so you typically will do the way I like to do vascular laser, I use a, an XLV. Um, I've used both, but my, my current favorite choice is to use an XLV plus. And then we'll do a full face XLV and then we'll laser it with a 1064, like a painting, mic, like a micro pulse 1064 to get the microvasculature. Mm. And then we will go back and touch up, we'll trace out the vessels with a uh, another laser, um, also a 532, where we actually trace out the little vessels. And so it's basically three treatments at once. And then we do this every month for three or four treatments. The majority of patients will be completely clear after those three or four treatments and they'll require a touch up every year or so. Um, other options, which are really good, you mentioned like an IPL, okay? IPLs, which is, it's not a laser, it's a light. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so with a light, you get the full spectrum of the UV light, but you can put these cutoff filters where you can change basically that you only get the wavelengths below. And so you're cutting it off at, I think you said 535. Um, that's a really good wavelength to cut it off. I like to cut it off at around like 585 personally for when you use an IPL. Um, so we get all the wavelengths below um, 585. That works really, really, really well for for rosacea. Um, it's a well-tolerated and simple procedure. There is a little bit higher risk for thermal injury with IPLs, um, unfortunately. Um, there happens to be a, a, a lot of people doing them, maybe not as trained as well as you or I. And so you can you can definitely burn someone. So you have to be careful with IPLs. And so that risk is there. Um, but the advantage to IPLs is that you can get more than just the red spots. You can also treat the brown spots. So if you have a patient that's kind of speckled that has reds and browns, I may lean more towards an IPL treatment for them than a, than a vascular lesion, uh, vascular laser. However, what we're doing more commonly is layering all these different lasers together, right? And so, you know, on one visit, they might get that triple treatment of the XLV with all the vascular lasers, and they may come back four weeks later and get an IPL treatment. And we may layer that with another device that I'm about to talk about um, all at the same time. And so we kind of alternate these treatments and we give them the best bang for the buck by layering all these different types of energies where you can really, really, really make a difference in the quality and texture of their skin. And so um, one of the other devices that we really like to use um, for this is something called Glacial RX. Um, so Glacial RX is invented by a very, very, very famous dermatologist out of um, Mass General. His name is Rox Anderson. Um, he's probably invented every single thing that you've ever heard of in dermatology. So he invented laser hair removal. He invented Fraxel. He invented cool sculpting. He invented this device, which is called Glacial RX. And basically it uses the concept, you know, in dermatology, we freeze a lot of things. And so it uses the concept of cooling, but it's controlled cooling. And so he actually in invented this device to treat benign pigmented lesions. But what we found when using it is it works incredibly well at decreasing inflammation or skin inflammation. And when you decrease that skin inflammation, you can get rid of redness. And the beautiful thing with, with this, with uh, Glacial RX, is it can be layered right on top of another device. So we can do like an IPL and literally do a glacial gloss treatment right on top of it. It takes down the inflammation from the treatment that you've had right then and there, but it also beautifully affects the inflammation in your skin and basically arrests it there. And so combining all of these treatments is what yields the best results for us. I did mention something about ocular rosacea. Ocular rosacea can actually be treated with an IPL. It sounds crazy because as, as you know, and for us as dermatology, we don't like flashing lasers and lights by eyes, right? Mm -hmm. But interestingly enough, you can affect the glands that are causing the ocular rosacea by treating it with an IPL. I would only recommend having that done by an ophthalmologist, a board certified ophthalmologist. Yeah, yeah. I would. We, we definitely stay away from that. Like I don't, yeah. I don't go near people's eyes with their, with an IPL. Yeah. And we do, you know, we do also use our Andy Yag and then, you know, do like what you described is to trace the bigger vessels and then sort of clean up the underlying redness with the different um, filters. So I love that you went into that. And I think that really shows how when somebody is a dermatologist like yourself, that there is all these options that A, exist and B, that maybe either your regular patient or even like your basic med spa provider might not even be aware of. So there are levels of expertise and that is why I always love having experts on and that's why I always refer everybody that I can to an expert. You know, that being said, you know, we are in a very sort of, um, 
dermatology desert. If you want to say that, unfortunately, well, there's, there's not, a lot of them in the world. You know, so. there's not a lot of um, good dermatologists <laughs> around. So sometimes people have to travel. And so, you know, um, I'm lucky enough, as I said, to work with um, some of the local-ish kind of dermatologists that might not have all the devices and yeah. treating um, some of their patients. And we've had um, really good results. So. That's good. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's for us in South Florida, there's a dermatologist on every corner. So it's, <laughs> it's a little different, obviously the environment down here, but you're correct in the majority of the country, there's a severe shortage of dermatologists with these crazy long wait lists to get patients in. So I think it's really important to have this multidisciplinary approach where you may have a medical dermatologist near you that, you know, can help with the diagnosis and formulate a treatment plan, and then you can carry the treatment plan out, I think is, is really, really, really important. And that's, that's the way that patients get really, really, really fantastic results, you know? So. Yeah. And as I said, I'm the first person to kind of also be very respectful of where my expertise ends and where it's like, oh, you should talk to Dr. So-and-so about this. Yeah, absolutely. That's why he's your dermatologist. <laughs> absolutely. Cool. Awesome. Well, what else do you want to say about rosacea, life, anything else? I'm I mean, giving you the open forum. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing is, is, you know, I, I think we've touched on this a bunch is a lot of things in dermatology look the same. And so it's really important that you always have a proper diagnosis, right? You want to have the correct diagnosis before you start treating someone. And so this is the biggest thing that we see when we get referred patients or patients that come in and be like, hey, I've been treating for months and nothing's getting better. And it's because the diagnosis is wrong. So if you don't have the first part right, there's no way you can possibly get the second part of the treatment plan right. And so that's where you know true experts come in. And so obviously if something doesn't seem right or you're treating and treating and treating and something's not getting better, like you have to reevaluate the situation and look back and say, hey, is this correct? And if it's not, do I need help? And who do I call? And that's for any, any field of medicine. That's not just dermatology. You know, unfortunately we see this a lot. And so that's, that's my biggest like takeaway is know, you know, when you need help. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that you mentioned that even, you know, as this is really a podcast for the end user, even though of course we have a lot of medical professionals in the space listening, you know, if you feel like you have now been taking your doxy for six months, 12 months, and nothing is getting better or things are getting worse. You know, it is really important to get a true professional opinion or maybe a second opinion or go back and say, Hey, you right. know, right. Absolutely. And of course, sunscreen, if you and don't take anything sunscreen. else from this <laughs> lecture, as always sunscreen, we love sunscreen. The thing so I tell every single patient, if you don't listen to anything, I say, listen to one word, sunscreen, that's it. <laughs> sunscreen. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> Thank you so much for lending us your expertise. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Aesthetic Doctor podcast with Dr. Judith Forger. We'd love to connect with you outside of the show. Follow Dr. Borger on Instagram at Dr. Borger and find more online and ways to work with Dr. Borger at www.theaestheticdoctor.com. Until next time, be well.